This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom, it's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. This week, allow us to be your guardian. It's episode 469 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. Knights of the Zodiac is in theaters right now. The adaptation of the Saint Seiya manga and anime is finally in live action. And I went all in and got so many members of the cast on to talk about it this week. Madison Eisman's going to join me. McKenyu, who plays Seiya, is going to join me. Also, Mark DeCascos plays Mylock and Nick Stahl plays Cassios. Madison Eisman actually plays two roles in this movie, just in case you're not sure what it's about. So if you're a Saint Seiya fan, this is definitely a week that you want to listen and find out all about this upcoming movie while well, it's in theaters right now. Also, going to go back and talk about From with a couple of the stars. They're going to talk to Avery Conrad, who plays the very controversial Sarah. We'll talk to her. Also, going to talk to Hannah Sheremy, who plays Julie Matthews. Boy, has she had a wild ride this season. This show just keeps upping the ante every week. That's why I want to keep talking about it, getting the stars on to talk about it this week. Also, a couple of reviews going to talk about The Muppets Mayhem on Disney+. Plus. Also, Black Knight, which is a Korean drama, kind of dystopian sci-fi thing that hit Netflix. Talk about that as well. Spoiler-free for both of those. Yeah, so there's a lot to get to. Let's just shut up and do it. Going to talk about Knights of the Zodiac and start things off with Madison Eisman next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Kevin Eastman, co-creator of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and you're listening to me on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Who will protect Athena? We have Knights of the Zodiac in theaters from Sony Pictures right now, the adaptation of the Saint Seiya story, and I have so many members of the cast on to talk about it this week. Let's start off with Madison Eisman, who plays Sienna slash Athena. Maybe a little bit of a spoiler there, and she had so much great insight into playing this role. Let's hear from her. It's been about 40 years, Madison, since the original anime series. Did you familiarize yourself with the material or did you want to go in clean? Well, 40 years ago. I'm just kidding. I was not alive. (laughs) 
Let me tell you a tale. <laughs> so let me tell you about 40 years ago. I, I, when this was first brought to me, I had no idea what it was. But then I quickly jumped into research and found out that it never really hit in the United States. Like it did literally pretty much everywhere else in the entire world. I had a lot to catch up on, basically. But I mean, it was so fun to jump into. I always love diving into source material of, of new things, especially when it's loved by so many different people. It's exciting and it's fun because people care so much about it. But I mean, it, it was a lot. I think I had about two or three weeks to really dive in as much as I could. And it's a lot of pressure. You know, it's a it's a big role. It's not a small one. Absolutely not. It's actually a dueling role in, 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 in a way, too, because, you know, Sienna is definitely one of those most one of the most interesting characters in the story, if not the most interesting character in the story. So once you get to know more about her, what, what excited you the most about playing her? I mean, other than her costuming and hair and makeup, which was some of my favorite, you know, I think I love where she ends up and I don't want to give any spoilers, but I, I also, if we were to continue and do more movies, which is always the goal, where she will go is also very exciting to me. This is, you know, it's, it is the very beginning of this whole universe and this, in the story, it's a our film is is an introduction to these characters and sort of how broad this universe is. So it's just a small taste of of what we're going to get into. So I think that was always like the most exciting thing to me is like where it's going to go. And I've always been a fan of like big concepts and and big stories and big characters. And I feel like we just barely scratched the surface of how big it can actually get. So that's exciting to me. Oh, there's no doubt about that. When you guys see it, you'll understand exactly what she's saying. But it's got to be hard for her, though, because, you know, she has this power looming inside of her. We saw that in the trailer. But do you kind of feel like it's more difficult for her that she really basically doesn't have a choice or control over basically anything in her life? Yeah. And that's like, you know, it's such a parallel theme in our film, because at the same time, Saya, played by our, our lovely McKenyu, when when these two characters meet, they're both dealing with the same thing. They're, they're stubborn. They don't want to handle the cards that they've been dealt in life and and they're doing everything they can to possibly not but you know sort they sort of create this bond throughout where they sort of have to face their realities eventually and and do it and believe in them, themselves and believe they can do it so i mean yeah it's uh, the journey she goes on it's it's inspiring and I, I always find like i sort of have these parallels with these characters that i jump into time and time again i'm not sure why i don't know if it's subconscious or why i do it but you know, she's sort of having this imposter syndrome throughout. And, you know, similarly, it's it's a big, so many people love this story and they love Athena. And so I found myself, you know, time and time again, just like, am I, are they sure it's me? Like, <laughs> did they, did they cast well? Like, you know, and there's big shoes to fill. So, you know, I was kind of with her throughout her whole journey of filming. I think they casted pretty well. I don't, I don't think you need to worry about that at all. I've seen it. I, I, I yeah, I think you're good. Thank you. <laughs> I think it's safe to say that she has a very complicated family life. I want to start with dad, though. How special is that relationship between Sienna and her father? Uh, first of all, Sean Bean. Ah, good yes. old Sean Bean. I mean, I'm such a huge fan. I'm actually rewatching Game of Thrones right now. So I'm like re fangirling over the fact that I already worked with him. I mean, that relationship, I just think it's so important. I think it's such a grounding part of our film. And they're some of my favorite scenes. I think the two of us together, it's the, one of the really only times you see them as human beings who are actually dealing with the weight of life. But uh, Sean Bean, I mean, he could read the dictionary and it would be interesting. He, he is so good. And I'm so glad he is who is 
telling most of the exposition in our film because it's a lot, right? It's a lot of information. And if you've never seen the original anime or manga, it's it's a lot to dive into. So the fact that Sean Bean is going to spoon feed you all of the information in our film, you're in for a treat because he does it so well. That is true. If you're going to get the information from anybody, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's probably the guy that yeah, you want yeah. to get it from. Do, I want to read, you know, all the stuff in my life. I, if I have a biography, I want Sean Bean introducing me. Forever. Oh, for sure. For sure. But when we know that he's, he's keeping her safe for a reason, because we got this army that's coming after her. So tease for us a little bit. How dangerous is are these people that are coming after her? I mean, they're pretty dangerous. They they can pretty much take whoever they want. You know, we're dealing with Cosmo, which is this all-powerful force and and power that can quite literally destroy anything in front of them. So yeah, these are not the guys that you want to get in an altercation with. And so Allman, my who's played by the lovely Sean Bean, has sort of created this fortress to keep Sienna in and keep her in hiding. And it's got these like crazy walls that come down, you know, when her Cosmo is being detected. And so it's... Mm, I don't want to spoil anything, but that's all I'll say. But yeah, you don't want to mess with them. Anytime, if you're seeing this on camera, anytime she looks up and to the right, she's really oh trying God, not to, I- she's really trying not to say whether it's like, there's a little sign up there saying, don't, don't do it, Madison. It's so, so hard. It's so hard not to spoil anything. <laughs> I know it is. I've seen it too. I get it. I'm trying not to do the same thing with these questions, but I do want to talk about say and that relationship too, because he, he's the champion that's supposed to keep her safe. And he certainly has a lot of skills. So how much can you tell us? about how the two of them kind of get along initially, because it's got to be weird meeting somebody and be like, yeah, this is, you know, she's the embodiment of Athena sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's, they're very parallel in in a sense. Like they they have both been dealt these cards in life. They are both stubborn. They don't want anything to do with their destiny. And so, and it's funny because they really don't enjoy each other at first at all. But you know, sort of through them dealing simultaneously with these similar situations, they they find a bond together. And I won't say, see, now I'm looking to the right. I'm looking to the... the, the now you're going to be thinking about it. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's a theme in the movie that I that you never get tired of seeing, which is sort of this not enemies to lovers. That's the wrong, that's the wrong theme. But, you know, watching these two people sort of like hate each other and then sort of find some sort of sense in, in the both of each other and, and find a bond on that. And then McKenna, he's just so great. And he's such a talent and so easy to work with. And we just had a lot of fun together. Oh, that, that you could definitely tell that for sure. For sure. Uh, we have, we got some incredible a- action in this movie, Madison. I mean, just in the trailer alone, but that, like you said before, scratches the surface on this thing. So how much were you looking forward to possibly getting in on some of that? Cause you had to see some of the stuff, stuff that everybody else was doing and going, I, I got to get a piece of that. I keep telling Andy, I was like, we, Athena needs to do more. Come on. Fonka got to do some fun stuff. And I was like, Athena can do a little more. Andy Chang, who did all of our stunts, he's incredible. He's a legend. It was so much fun to watch. And his whole team, they're just so incredible. They were able to create such a fresh, organic style of fighting that I've never really seen before in a film. It's it's very unique to to our movie. And I think it's one of the key elements in our film that makes it stand out. He's so good. He's so, so, so good. And it was so fun watching them fight. And then it's fun, you know, you on set, there's no special effects or anything, but then like watching it all come to life. It's, it's just, it's so impressive. But yeah, I, I want to do more Andy. Let's do more Andy. <laughs> hint, hint, nudge, nudge sort of thing. You, you talk about the look 
And that's definitely something I wanted to get to because that was one of the wow factors for me was just that that look of Athena. And again, we get like a small smidgen of that in yeah. the trailer. So how impressed were you were this look and just the design of the character? Because it just pops so much. Well, I'm so glad it was it was very collaborative and it was a lot of conversation. You know, it was I think the trick with live action remakes is you want to stay true to what was done 30 years ago, but also you want to bring something fresh and new and a little more grounded and just different. So it was, you know, we talked a lot about if we wanted to stick with the manga where she has this like golden brown hair, or if you want to stick with the anime where she has this like vibrant purple hair, and then also even the costuming, like you want to modernize it. And our amazing costumers, they wanted to bring in a little more Greek mythology since it's such a driving force in our film. And even like Athena wears this bronze breastplate that has the symbol of the owl, which is Athena's symbol. You know, there's all these tiny little details that if you pay enough attention, you'll see. But I do remember the hair, the hair was a big conversation. And it was, gosh, it was one, one of the only things that I was like, guys, like, it's got it. You got to have the purple hair. It's just going to be so iconic. But, you know, they wanted it to be, you still want to make it grounded. You know, you don't want it to be ridiculous. But we did lots of like hair and makeup tests. And I remember when I first tried on the wig, Yoshi, who's been a part of St. Seiya for so many years, he, started to tear up a little bit and I was like okay I'm like come on guys like we got then there's the right choice yeah but I honestly I think we didn't make that decision until up until like the morning of filming I remember wow. I was with our director and they still hadn't made a decision I was like you I they have to have the wig ready in the morning and so he was like let me sleep on it I went to our hair and makeup trailer in the morning and he finally gave me the text. He said, put it on. I was like, are you sure? Cause if it goes on, like, you know, we don't go back that you make the decision. You can't really CGI out, you know, a whole wig, I guess. No. Nowadays you probably could, they can do anything now. It's pretty crazy, but yeah, it was, it was very collaborative. It was a lot of fun to sort of give my ideas of where to take the character and, and costuming and hair and makeup and Tomek and, everyone but it was all done you know with with the fans in mind I think that was important to me was to make sure they got the Athena that they would want in a live action and if you guys thought you saw it from the trailer trust me you ain't seen nothing yet you're gonna have to see it in theaters Knights of the Zodiac from Sony Pictures that's gonna be on May the 12th wait till you see what she's got going on with Athena Madison Eisman thank you so much for your time I really appreciate it Hard to talk about Knights of the Zodiac without talking about Seiya himself. So let's hear from McKenyu about playing the fan favorite character in this story. So I wanted to ask you because this character, Seiya, he, he's been with fans for about four decades now. Did you know how beloved this character was when you took well, this on? Gradually noticing how what kind of a big project I stepped foot in. It's I'm excited too. I hope like I, I hope. They like the film as much as you did. Oh, no doubt about that. For anyone that's going into the story fresh, though, because there's going to be people that just say, this looks cool. I want to watch this. What's yeah. the most important thing you think fans need to know about Seiya? It's definitely a great introduction film. Whether you know Seiya, don't know Seiya, it's going to be a great introduction film for non-fans. And just the, vid the visual effects and the action, you, you will definitely enjoy. The main thing for me is I hope that the audience have a fun time watching this film. Oh, it's fun. No doubt about that. But he, it's pretty serious, too, because, I mean, finding out how you have a hidden power can be great. But it's sure. also one that Saya didn't ask for. So how do you how would you say he deals with the responsibility that comes with that? You know, in the film, he needs to react fast and he does need to take some extra steps to climb his uh, 
adult la- ladder and needs to be a bit more mature of his powers. But um, he does that very well. And he challenges himself to be able to control his powers. And it's, it's an underdog story. So uh, it's enjoyable and it's fun to watch. He's very much an underdog, which is one of the reasons that I loved watching him as well. So now finding out, though, McKenna, that Athena is on Earth is interesting enough. But being asked to be one of her guardians certainly takes it up another right. level. How much can you tell us about how they kind of get along in the early going? So Seiya and Sienna, right? They're teenagers at first and they throw shit at their faces at first, like what teenagers do. But, you know, they have they have a conversation and I think Sienna really gets to know who Seiya is and really gets to know what his main goals are and that he's not playing around. There is a scene in the in the movie. There are fun parts, but there are, like you said, serious parts in the movie, important parts. One of my favorite character dynamics in the movie is the one between Seiya and Cassios. How much fun was that? Was that rivalry for you to kind of play out throughout the film? Oh, that was fun. It was fun during rehearsals with Andy and his stunt team, he, you know, he is one of the best in the business. So uh, I really had fun with them and just to challenge myself as an actor to do the hard stunts and the hard action was a lot of fun. Talk about some of those fight scenes a little bit, because I feel like especially the one early on between you and Cassie, was like right in the beginning, that was just just so gritty and raw. And then you kind of evolve into more of a sci-fi action type thing at, at the at the end so what was it like having the evolution of these action scenes because i feel like they start out great and then they end fantastic right like i said earlier Seiya needs to grow older well needs to be mature and i think we show that in the action too at first he's dodging dancing like they said in the film andy's team is a jackie chan team so we have a little bit of jackie chan movement in the <laughs> first and it looks cool i love it and gradually his action turns into a more of a powerful punch and more power into his actions so andy i think he did a wonderful job i've been hearing that a lot and i can definitely agree with that as somebody who's seen Mm -hmm. it that is that is for sure mckenny we've seen in photos and even in the trailer what say it will look like in the armor just a little bit that we've gotten just a little teases so how much planning went into that look and how did it feel putting it on for the first time so we knew that we had a lot of action that was going to go on with the armor. So it had to be durable. It had to be flexible. So they got me the top level armor they could possibly make. And when I first put it on, there wasn't any, any mirrors in the room. So the people around me was overwhelmed. They were, they were, they were noisy, but I couldn't see it. I remember asking them for a, for a gigantic mirror and I wanted to see it. I want to sell. I wanted to celebrate with them. It was it was cool. It was cool. No doubt. You weren't the only one though. What you what do you think? What did you think of Nick's look? I thought it was powerful, fierce. But you know, I thought mine was better. <laughs> well, well, I mean that kind of goes. Yeah, that's, that's that's for sure. One of the one of my favorite parts about this movie, McKinney, is you you talk about the maturity, the training scene that you have, like like about midway through the film. I feel like that that kind of brought a whole new attitude, a whole new energy to the movie talk about filming those scenes a little bit well i can tell you it was very hot no shade it was a challenge but you know it was it was a nice montage of of say climbing his way to the best and 
not giving up. It was a nice place and a nice moment to film. It, it felt like a pinnacle moment for sure. Absolutely. One of the things that kind of gets lost in all the madness of, of things that's going around, say, is, is the story of his sister. How much are you kind of hoping to kind of be able to expand on that part of the story at some point in the future? I wish we could dig into it, even have a spinoff about it. But as much as the fans are waiting for a sequel, I'm I'm with you. Uh, I'm waiting for it, too. So, yeah, absolutely. Before I let you go, you, you get to share scenes with pretty much everybody in this sure. film. Was there any particular scene partner that, that 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 was just your favorite? You're like every time you were in scenes with this person, you were just completely locked in having fun. I got this role. Uh, it was an audition. It was like four or five auditions and then I got the role. But like you've I've never imagined to be on screen with Sean or Famka, you know, two big stars standing right next to them on screen is just crazy thinking about it. Yeah, those two were mind blowing. But my favorite, favorite person on set. Well, wow, that's really hard. You know what? That's really hard. But I can say Madison was the son. She was brightening up set every single day, made me laugh every day. And Mark, I loved Mark. We had a nice, nice chunk of time talking about talking about life, talking talking about film and a lot of stuff, which I want to keep for myself. But um, I really had a great time with Mark, too. That's very cool. Madison said pretty much the same thing about you, too, by the way, just so you know. Yeah. So. So the feeling when I talked to her, the feeling was mutual. So, so yeah, for sure. Right. right. We had so much fun together. But, but you guys will just see it all when Knights of the Zodiac hits theaters on May the 12th from Sony Pictures. And wait till you see this guy just blow you away. McKenna, thank you so much for the time, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Yes, we absolutely have to talk about the villains in Knights of the Zodiac as well. We're going to talk to Nick Stahl now, who plays Cassios. And going back to the side of good, Mylock, played by Mark DeCascos as well. Love talking to these guys. Let's hear from them. You guys were amazing. And Knights of the Zodiac really, really enjoyed it. Were you guys familiar with the source material ahead of time? Or did you just kind of want to go in fresh, put your own stamp on these guys? I was not familiar with, with the story at all. Being invited, I needed to uh, do major catch up. And I looked at some of the source material, got super excited, loved my character, loved the relationships, the whole world. It felt uh, hopeful and multi-generational. And then uh, we, have, we have something for everybody, you know, and love your uh, down and nerdy. Yeah, well, you found us, right? Here we are. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> yeah. How about how about you, Nick? Yeah, because kind of similar to Mark, I, I had not heard of this before before the script came along. Dove in and 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 tried to get familiar with all of it. In a way, I I, I kind of liked uh, that I that I didn't have a lot of knowledge of 
of these characters and I could sort of create something fresh and, and something, you know, that, that felt, you know, more original or from my, from myself, you know? So it didn't, it didn't really bother me that, that I didn't know of it. A lot of this in, in, you know, after we started filming and seeing, you know, the, the, the number of, of fans that, that this thing has all over the world, you know, really blew me away. Yeah, definitely a lot of excitement there for sure. Mark, I wanted to talk to you about Mylock a little bit because he kind of reminded me of Morpheus from The Matrix a little bit. He's this silent oh. badass, which I really loved. So how fun, is it to, how fun is it to play a character whose actions just speak such huge volumes like that? <laughs> well, thank you. It, it, it was a blast. It was a blast. And, you know, we uh, we had the good fortune of having the incredibly talented Andy Cheng doing our, uh, you know, heading our, our stunt team in choreography. Mylock, as you know, didn't have a lot of dialogue, but he had some physicality. And I think between our, our excellent costumes and choreography, you know, you have a lot of physical dialogue that informs the audience of, of who the characters are. Absolutely, man. On the flip yeah. side of that, Nick, I feel like we've got Cassius, who is also a badass, but he's not afraid to let people know about it. For sure. So he might be, he, he might be right, cocky. Right. He might be cocky, but Tease Force, man, how dangerous is this guy? Well, you know, he's he's dangerous. He's you know most dangerous in his own mind, I think. You know, and he is the he is the king of his of his domain, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and 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 he kind of rule he rules this this ring, this kind of this this little underground fighting you know subculture going on. He encounters Saya. And that's when things kind of, you know, kind of take a turn because not only does he, you know, did he, does he kind of meet his match and he gets bested by this kid, but he also thinks that, you know, they, they might have found somebody who contains this, this Cosmo and someone that they have been looking for him and Garad, you know, so, so it, it really moves the story in, in another direction. So I like that you brought up Garad because, you know, you see the trailer and you say, oh, say, okay, so Garad's the big bad of the film. I'm making the argument maybe that Cassios is actually the big bad of this movie. What do you guys think? Interesting. I mean, it sounds good to me. Um, <laughs> You'll take in, it. Obviously <laughs> we'll see what happens in part two. You know, I actually don't even know where this is going to, I, I, I know that the powers that be have an idea, but, but I'm, I'm curious to see how it plays out. You know, I was, I was saying this earlier, you know, Cassios is, is used to, dominating everyone around him except Gurad, you know, uh, Fomka Jansen's character. And he definitely gives him gives him his marching orders and knocks him down a peg, you know. Mark, you were talking about the depth of Mylock a little bit. I want to get into that because he's about as trusted of an ally as you can get for Allman and Sienna as well. So how much can you tell us about where that loyalty actually comes from? Oh man, I would I would love to, but so you know hopefully at some point, I, I would love for us to be able to do some. I was telling Nick earlier, I, I, I hope that we get a chance to explore their origin stories. Because, you know, I, I agree with you guys. I would argue that, that Nick plays one of the most dangerous because without giving any spoilers, you know, he's badass and he'll tell you about it beforehand. And then something else happens and he's even more badass and he'll tell you about it and, and have the goods to back it up, Right. And, you know, when somebody is fearless, that's very scary because, you know what I mean? There's 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 some logic mm -hmm. missing there, you know, and mm -hmm. he's got the capabilities. So I, I agree with you there. But in terms of the depth and, and, and where he comes from, 
okay, I'll just say this. So we see that Mylock has tattoos, right? He's got he's got very intricate on his hands, on his neck, but he's he's capable of of piloting flying machines, driving cars, hand-to-hand combat, weaponry, and firearms. So obviously he's had some extensive training and experience. I would argue that maybe he was not always on the side that he is now, which would make it very interesting to me. Listen to Mark pitching a, a, a Mylock spinoff. <laughs> I, I love that. I love it. I love, you, you sold me, man. I know that people- Cassius is in it too, though. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably history there, I'm sure. You talk, you, you talk about the look of Mylock. Nick, I actually want to flip it over to you awesome. for, for, for Cassius's look because, and we get a little glimpses of this in the trailer, so this, this isn't a spoiler, but how did you feel suiting up and taking this character to another level against Saya? Because I think you had one of the coolest looks in the entire movie, for sure. Yeah, I, I love the armor, you know, I mean, for all the characters, like for Diego and McKenna's character, we had to do pretty extensive fittings and, and, and uh, these were these were all custom made and took a while actually to to perfect and get some of the kinks out. You know, I remember when I first when I first wore that suit, there was, you know, it was kind of constricting and they just had to make some adjustments and things like that. But I mean, aesthetically, you know, it's 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 just a really really cool look you know and he takes you know you take that you know insane ego you know and he just put it on blast even further yeah like he really needed something to inflate that ego even more and, and make exactly. him feel more of a badass yeah yeah you think that was just completely necessary exactly <laughs> mark you kind of teased the 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 action in the movie and your great stunt team did you did you guys actually get to do any of your own stuff and how much fun was it just learning all of this intricate choreography because man you guys were really it was some really impressive stuff. Well, well, thank you. Yeah, Andy, Andy Chang and the incredible team, brilliant artists. For, for my action, no, I, that was all Andy Chang and his team. You know, and, and, and you know, of course, they, they're, they're very collaborative. They, 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 they told me if, if something felt very awkward, you know, we can make tweaks and, and change it up. But I like coming in there uh, and learning what they have because I don't want to do my same Mark stuff in every show. I want to I wanna fight as the character. You know, so that that's all Andy Chang and team. That's all Andy Chang and team. How about you, Nick? Conference. Similar for me. I mean, I, I hadn't had much experience with fight choreography, like to the extent that, that, that Mark has. It was pretty new for me. So I just showed up and, and started hitting the gym with these guys and, and kind of was uh, just showed up kind of a blank slate, you know, just needing, needing all the direction that I could get. And, you know, just, yeah, like, like Mark said, I mean, this was an incredible team of athletes, you know, very, very talented group, extremely patient with us at actors as well. You know? Yes. Yes. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. That's very cool to hear really quickly for both of you guys. There's a lot of St. Seiya stories left to tell. What do you think the future is for this franchise? Hopefully we have any sequels to tell it. <laughs> Yeah, well, we're just we we're we're excited for this thing to come out and 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 see where it goes. So we we both really love the movie. We saw it and really, you know, I was just blown away with with what they pulled off. And I I think I think people are really going to like this thing. So well, it all starts by you guys going to see it on May the twelfth. That's when you can see Knights of the Zodiac in theaters from Sony Pictures. And wait until you see these guys. The trailer does not do it justice. Mark, Nick, thank you guys both for for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, James. Thank you. And I'll admit, like those guys, I kind of didn't know much about St. Seiya's stories up to this point. But I will say that Knights of the Zodiac is just, it's such a cool concept. 
It's such a fun movie. There, there's some really good action there. I love the dynamic between Madison Eisman and McKenyu as, as Sienna and Saya. Just and just the way you see both of them, like like Madison was saying and McKenyu was saying, they just kind of like grow up throughout, not just with themselves, but but in their in their abilities as well. And it's just really really interesting. And Sean Bean, yeah, just y- y- you love Sean Bean. Right. And Famke Jensen is really incredible too. see Knights of the Zodiac in theater. This is just one of those visual spectacles you're going to want to see on the big screen from Sony Pictures. Again, thanks to the cast of Knights of the Zodiac for talking to me about the big movie this week. Up next, going to switch to MGM Plus and talk to two more stars of the hit series from that'll be next. I'm James Witham and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is B.B. Wong from Gotham on Fox and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I don't know what's getting more deep, the intensity or the mystery, but From has been amazing in its second season on MGM+. I'm going to keep bringing you the stars of the show to try and unravel what's going on here and just get their insight into this whole crazy thing. So I had to talk to Avery Conrad, who plays Sarah. You know that she's back. Everything's about to go down. Let me tell you, let's get Avery's perspective on that. It's been a rocky and rough and wild season for you on the show this year. (laughs) So I know that Sarah's return raises a lot of questions, going to affect a lot of characters, but I want to talk about her for a second, because how difficult is it for her to be back? Oh, it's really difficult. It's probably the worst place that she could have ended up. And you kind of see her coming to terms with where she is and who she has to face and all those crazy things that happen. But yeah, I think it's definitely really hard for her and Hard for her to wrap her brain around too. And the last time we saw her, of course, she was with Boyd. They're in the woods. The, that's when everything kind of went crazy. So Boyd seems to be kind of protecting her at this point. How much stress is Sarah going to be putting on Boyd specifically? A lot. <laughs> I think she puts a lot of stress on Boyd. Sometimes she's not very good at listening when he asks her to do something because she's kind of in this She's in this weird place where she doesn't really know what's going on. So I think she's acting out of shock and she's still trying to search for answers herself and trying to accept what's happening. And with that will definitely cause him to be frustrated (laughs) with her. And I mean, that's completely understandable. Speaking of which, I mean, the Matthews family is probably not going to be too thrilled to see her either. They're certainly not a fan and and that's, and there's certainly a good reason for that. So if and when we see that conversation, I don't want to talk any spoilers or anything. How tense do you think that's going to be? I mean, it would be really intense, but who's to say that will even happen? Like she might just stay in the basement. You'll have to tune in and find out. <laughs> that, that is very true. And that would not be the worst thing in the world for her. But I mean, we could we could keep going forever. And then, I mean, there's a laundry list of people that she probably doesn't want to run into. But do you think Sarah truly is a different person now? And is she looking maybe for some atonement now that she's back or, or is it a little bit different for her? It's different for sure. I, I think the person who she was in season one is, I don't want to say it's it's different, but she's dealing with the things that she's caused in season one and is sitting alone. I mean, she spends a lot of time alone, but there's always something really dramatic happening. And I think this season you see her really, sitting in stillness with what she's done and facing those things internally in turn, which will 
cause her to, you know, act out in in certain ways. But I think she's she's really different now than she was in season one. Absolutely. It might be hard for her to find any friends or allies beyond Boyd at this point. But just tease for us a little bit. Could she maybe find somebody else that doesn't see her as this villain? It would be hard from the other people's uh, characters perspective to find any sort of reason to want to like see the light in her but there's always that possibility anything's possible on this show (laughs) oh that is very very true avery when you play a character like this who's done the things that she's done or almost done there's definitely going to be some fan reaction to that so do you kind of stay away from what people are saying on like social media or things like that are you curious to see how fans react to the things that she does or the things that happens to her half and half i think season one i was more because we were releasing this thing that no one has seen and that we worked so hard on and they didn't know her at all or where she was coming from or anything. And people really didn't like her at first, which is, again, is understandable. But from the actor perspective, I never view her as the viewers do. I don't view her as a killer. I don't view her as a psycho. I don't view her as any of those things. And I have a obviously a real soft spot for her. I think if I didn't, it would just not be I don't know it would the the performance wouldn't come out as I would like so that was hard to see people kind of hate on her (laughs) again understandable I think now coming in season two uh, we have a better feel of who she is and everyone has a right to their own opinions so I can't really be upset either way (laughs) (laughs) that is very well put very well put Before I let you go, Avery, if Sarah really is the key to solving the mystery of where they are, is it possible that people just aren't going to believe her simply because of who she is or how they feel about her? Could that be a huge mistake? Yeah, there's there's definitely that possibility of people not believing her because of her track record. But if she has Boyd in her corner, then there might be some possibility of believing her because of what they've been through together. Well, you guys will just have to find out, watch every Sunday and wait till you see all the stuff that we couldn't talk about right now, because there's so much going on with her. Avery Conrad, thank you so much for joining me to talk some from this week. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Oh, and Sarah has so much good stuff coming up. That much I can tease for you because I've I've seen a little bit ahead, but I, I, I can't talk about it. I can't. I can't do it. But we can talk to Hannah Sheremy, who plays Julie Matthews and get her insight on what's going on with the Matthews family. Things are unraveling. Let's hear what she has to say. Before we get to what's coming, I want to go back and talk about the diner episode because I think that's hands down your best episode so far. That was that was definitely a Julie episode for me. What was it like shooting that thing? Because it had to be intense. Oh, it was very, very intense. And it was actually my, the like the big breakdown in episode two was my very first day on set for season two. Oh, good. Like, welcome, Hannah. Here, we're just going to hand you this. Oh, yeah, it was it was it was definitely a lot. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess we're doing this today because my other scene got canceled. And it was like, well, we're doing this. And I was like, okay, well, let's just get into it. And but it was good. It was it was a really good atmosphere on set. And, you know, I had all my old co-stars and they were also supportive and all the new people. It was I didn't feel uncomfortable around anyone. So it was a really good atmosphere to work in. That's really great. And obviously, you know, we're glad the dad survived obviously. And, and that's great for, for, for Julie and for the family, but do you kind of feel like it's interesting? Like nobody's asking like how he survived. Like Tom was right there. He didn't make it. And somehow dad makes it. I just don't feel like we're, it seems like we're not addressing like 
how dad made it. Is that weird? I mean, I feel like I kind of understand how he made it. He was quiet. Like the second that Tom got attacked, you can see Jim instantly is like, okay, I'm going to shut up. I'm not going to talk. And Jim was off to the side. He couldn't even see Brick or Tom. He kept saying like, I can't see Tom. You got to do this. You got to do this. So he was like off in a different section. So the monster just didn't see him and Jim shut the hell up. So <laughs> I think that's you, why. You can understand the paranoia when it comes to this show, right? Like you got to almost question everything, don't you? Oh yeah. Everything. Everything is like, wait, how did that happen? And how did, but like, they all have their answers. And I just feel like I'm always waiting for the, uh, for the other shoe to drop on this show. That that's what it is for me, but it's not just dad though. We got mom starting to see things starting to maybe break down a little bit, but Julie's picking up on it. How concerned is she for mom right now? Julie is very, very concerned for her mom. And you know, the first thing she sees is when they're leaving the closet area to go get clothes, she can see that her mom saw something that she didn't see. And that's just instant panic because she knows something is not right. She doesn't know if there's a monster that she saw, if they're out in the daytime, like she doesn't know anything that's going on. So it's a lot to also see your parents go through that. So it's really riding on Julie's shoulders a lot. And it's, it's causing her to feel lots of stress on her parents' behalf. Obviously Jim's stressed as well. And maybe he's starting to lose it too, or maybe he's becoming a little bit more clear because we actually saw a little bit of a tease and it's in the trailer too. So this isn't really a spoiler. He's got a very interesting theory about why they're there or something like that. So is, is Julie going to back dad on this, you think, or, or is she going to think he's nuts? Jim, definitely. He, he starts to slip a little bit this season. I mean, obviously this town has an effect on everybody, but I think after the house collapse and also the voice on the, on the radio, it really, it really hits Jim differently than everyone. And I think that Julie's just trying to keep the balance within the family. She's trying to, you know, be around them and be with them as much as possible because she almost lost everyone. So I think that she's going to try to support her dad, but also understanding that dad, this is not like, you can't, you can't be doing this. And you'll see that later on. There's a good moment between Jim and Julie later on and like the later episodes. So you'll see that. Excellent. Excellent. I'm just wondering how Ethan's holding it together. So, well, I don't know if it's just the, the youth or what it is, but but how is he holding it together? Is, is it big sister? What's going on here? Ethan is a strong kid, you know, like season one, he had his moments where he was like kind of whiny and, but so was Julie, you know, like they have to really, they had to grow together. Like these two siblings, like they were kids coming into this town, but they're sure as hell not kids anymore. They have to grow up. And even Tabitha, you know, in three, she's talking to him like, I need you to understand what this place. And he goes, I know, I know it's dangerous, but I'm okay. Like he understands, even though he's just a kid, he understands what's going on. So he's a mature, he's a mature one. No doubt about that. We actually see that, that Julie's helping more than just her family. We saw her offer to help Elgin sort of adjust to life in the town as well. Could we see maybe a friendship brewing there? Or is she just kind of maybe trying to pay it forward a little bit? I think it's a mixture of both. I think she, she understands that Fatima did this for her, you know, Fatima and Ellis. And I think that you know, not trying to impress Fatima, but understanding like you did this for me, I'm going to do this for you and I can maybe take over your role a bit. And also I think that she's just trying to reach out to people in town and Elgin is a, is a great, is a really interesting character. So it's one that Julie would probably want to go chat with. Excellent. Really quickly, Hannah, what's your favorite fan theory that you've seen on social media so far for the show? I really like, I mean, it's kind of a classic theory, but I kind of like the idea that this is maybe a purgatory. I saw one the other day that it was, everybody had gotten into a car crash and everybody had crashed into the tree. And then this is like death. So that was like, everyone sees the tree and that was their last moments. And now they're in this, like, but I thought that was cool. Wow. Well, I mean, I guess you never go. No, we're going to have to keep watching to find out from airs every Sunday on MGM plus. We can't wait to see more straight, great stuff from Julie. Hannah, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much. 
And I want to talk to the Frummily here for a, for a second because you're you're a fandom that's really gaining traction, and I really love looking at your tweets and your fan theories and stuff like that, probably just as much as the cast does. And trust me, I want answers just as much as you do. So make sure you keep watching From with me every Sunday on MGM Plus, and I'll keep bringing cast members back every week as much as I can to try and talk more about this thing. As a matter of fact, I'll have Ricky He coming up next week to talk about Kenny. So just be prepared for that. But up next, it's a whole different kind of mayhem. I'm going to talk about the Muppets Mayhem Disney Plus series next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Jason Lyles from Rampage the Movie, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. There's certainly mayhem in the music. The Muppets Mayhem Disney Plus series has premiered and I got to say that I, I'm going to do the spoiler free because, you know, I don't want to spoil any of the fun for you. But I will tell you that this is basically about Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem. So you're not going to get a lot of big name Muppet star power here. I mean, I love the Electric Mayhem. But I have an Electric Mayhem band T-shirt in my collection. OK, I, I'll admit that right now. I'm a fan and I know that you're a fan, too. Otherwise, this series wouldn't have been happening in the first place. But if you're going into this thinking you're going to get a bunch of, you know, big Muppet stars in this thing, that's not what you're going to get because that's not what this show is about. So you do have the Electric Mayhem band and we get to, you get to see a lot more of them. I actually like that we're finally putting the spotlight on these characters a little bit more than we have over the years. And yes, they've been fun additions to other Muppet movies, but giving them a little bit of a spotlight here, I think was really cool. And you mix the musical element into this thing as well, because the cameos that you are going to get are big musical star cameos. And I'm not really going to spoil any of those. Some of them you've already seen in the trailer and things like that and photos that have been released and whatnot, but I'm not going to spoil those for you here. But there's a bunch of those. But it's basically, you know, them, and, and part of it is a little bit serious too, like them finding themselves and finding their sound. And you also have Nora Singh, who is a record executive assistant just trying to get ahead. And I got to say that Lily Singh, who plays Nora, in the show, I, I've been a fan of hers for a while now. I think that she, you know she's been waiting to kind of break out a little bit, and I think that this role really is going to help her do that. She's just so likable. She's as much she doesn't want to admit it. She's just as frantic as the Electric Mayhem band is, just not just in a different way. And it's funny how they kind of balance each other out in this too. And she's got a sister Hannah, who's a successful influencer. And talking and then the dynamic between the two of them is very interesting. And then you throw in Moog as well. I love that's one of my favorite character names is Moog. And that's not a Muppet, that's an actual person. Played by Taj Maori or Mori, excuse me. So and, and you know, is there something going on with him and Nora? Yeah, maybe you just have to watch and find out for yourself. But but there's just there's a lot of you know, Muppets Mayhem is a very apt title for this thing because that's exactly what this is. It is a series of of misadventures and just how flighty Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem band really is. And the whole point is, you know, they're supposed to be making an album, but the road up to that is a very interesting one because, you know, and this is in, this is in the description for the show. So I'm, this is not a spoiler or anything, but you know, animal leaving the band and he's the most recognizable Muppet in this thing, animal leaving the band, you know, kind of, throws things into a loop and then they have to try and find another drummer and just the problems that they keep coming up with, you know, as, as the series unravels is, is a really interesting, but there's a lot of fun to be had here. There's a lot of eye rolling too, but like eye rolling in a, in a funny and a good way. You're like, eye roll, but with a smile 
on your face, I guess is the best way that I could really put it. So, again, the, the question here for me was, can Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem, can they carry this show? Can you do this without the major Muppet presence? And I think you can. Now, I also think maybe 10 episodes is too long. 10 episodes is too many. I thought you could have done six, maybe eight. Ten's probably a little too many. I think they stretched it out a little bit too much. That's my only complaint, even though I did have fun with it. There were episodes here and there that I thought, eh, you know, you, you could have left that out and gotten to, you know, gotten the, gotten the boat docked a little bit quicker sort of thing. So, so I did enjoy the series. I, di- I didn't expect it to blow me away. I just expected it to be a little bit of a fun ride, something different in the Muppets world. And that's kind of what you're getting here. You're not getting the same old cast, even though and now, and I love them. I love Kermit. I love Miss Piggy. I love, I love Fozzie. I love, I love them all, but giving us something different on occasion in a series like this, I think is really smart. And let's continue to do a little bit more of that. I don't know who it was that said that they hoped for a Muppet verse. I think it was maybe, maybe it was Robert Downey Jr. Saying that he hoped that, this was the start of that, and I kind of, I, I kind of agree. I think that the, I hope that this is the start of a Muppet verse where we get a little bit more of these type series where we get to expand the world a little bit and throw the spotlight on some Muppets that haven't really gotten it over the years. But hey, forty-five years has been a great ride for Doctor Teeth and the Electric Mayhem Band, and I thought this was a really fun addition to that story. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of The Muppets Mayhem, which you can stream right now on Disney+. Plus. Up next, let's talk about a series that you might have missed, Black Knight on Netflix. I'll talk about this dystopian sci-fi series next. I'm James Witham, and this is The Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Nelson Lee from DC's Stargirl, and you're listening to The Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is far from your typical delivery service. Black Knight is now streaming on Netflix. It's a Korean sci-fi dystopian series with a lot of action that maybe kind of slipped through your radar. Now, if this does sound familiar to you a little bit, this is adapted from the webtoon Black Knight, which, which again, is something that maybe you saw, maybe you didn't, but this is maybe one that slipped through your fingers. And this is a very interesting series because it's a dystopian society because there was a natural disaster in, in the world, and Korea is basically devolved into this world where there's severe pollution and you cannot inhabit the world without an oxygen mask. So there actually has to be deliveries of oxygen to pretty much everybody. Now, when you're in a dystopian society, you can't just, you know, it's, it's not just like simple door-to-door. This isn't FedEx. So there's hunters also on these delivery routes. So you have to have these heavily armed delivery men that are going to bring these this oxygen to the people that need it and avoid, you know, trying to get hijacked and things like that. And it's, it's not just oxygen. There's other stuff too, but you know, there's, it's just a, a, a very dangerous thing to do, but there's very one specific, very famous delivery man amongst the people. And that is the legendary five, eight is they like to refer to him as, which is who's played by Kim Wubin, who you might know. And they, the, he, there's your, you know, classic badass of the movie. Nothing phases him. He's a skilled fighter sort of thing. And he is the hero of the people. Now, there is base, There is very much a world of the haves and the have-nots in this. And there's a very powerful group that's kind of, you know, lording over 
this part this part of of Korea and 58's kind of had enough and he's going to be the vigilante that fights against them and there's some you know there's some you know budding young delivery men and and women along the way that are kind of going to try to help out in this thing and, and you know there's there's bumps in the road for that obviously and I don't really again I don't really don't want to spoil anything but it's funny to me as I'm watching this especially in the first episode and, and you always try and figure out okay what is this series and yes it is very much a dystopian sci-fi series but I was struggling to feel like okay is are they trying to be is this trying to be like Mad Max is this trying to be like Blade Runner is it trying to be a little bit twisted metal and I think it's some of a little bit of all of those things but at the same time I feel like as I'm watching this thing it feels like this this show struggles to find its identity at times and it sort of sort of gets the for lack of a better analogy, gets the truck back on the road towards the like middle or close to the end. It's only a six episode first season, by the way. So it, it, it sort of starts to write itself, but it's so frantic in the beginning, right? And, and there's, you know, obviously there's, there's, like I said, young people that are sort of idolizing 5'8 and just wanting to be a part of what he's doing and he's kind of a loner sort of thing. So there's there's a bit of a Batman dynamic going on there as well, but I would you just can't compare 5'8 to Batman. Apples and oranges for one thing. And second, you just can't put anybody on that level, but this is the closest comparison that I can think of. So you've got your standard, you know, trope of the loner vigilante sort of thing, but then you throw in this, you know, evil group who's lording over everybody and, and, you know, has a very interesting opinion on the human race, that much that much I will say, and hostile takeover maybe looming in this thing as well. So while it's an interesting show, while the action's good, and I think the setting is interesting, it doesn't go overboard with the whole dystopian society. There's a lot of, you know, advanced technology that's involved in this as well. But just, it was very distracting to me, this struggling to find an identity thing. And I, th- and I thought the, the, the acting was fine. The performances themselves were fine. You know, a little bit over the top at times. But I thought that the performances themselves were fine. And I thought you, they definitely propped 5-8 up as this, you know, like the John Wick of, of its own show. And man, I'm throwing out a lot of different references here. But like somebody that, one-on-one, one-on-eight can handle himself pretty much in any situation. And anytime you see anybody even like get a hit in on him, it's like, it's like a gasping moment where you go, whoa, you know, they, they actually, they got to five, eight sort of thing. So, you know, when things get more difficult as the series gets, you know, towards the the last several episodes, that kind of opens your eyes a little bit there as well. But again, the, the struggle for identity in this thing, is something that was difficult for me because I felt like it was kind of distracting. And that took me out of it a little bit. But again, it sort of writes the ship as you get towards the midway point of this thing. So stick with it. It definitely improves as it goes. And the action is solid. So again, if this is what, if you enjoy like a good sci-fi dystopian series, Black Knight is one that you should be adding to your Netflix list for sure, because I think you'll dig it. And I think that this is going to be one of those surprise hits that's going to come out of nowhere. So again, add this and be the person that tells your friends about it. 
That's actually going to do it this week for the Down and Nerdy podcast. There just wasn't really a lot of nerd news unless you like talking about the CW canceling basically everything. And I'll, maybe I'll talk about that on TikTok or on a YouTube video or on social media or something. Matter of fact, you should follow us on TikTok at Down and Nerdy Pod. Make sure you're following at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and Instagram as well. At Down and Nerdy on Facebook and follow the Down and Nerdy Podcast on, on YouTube as well. You can get the video versions of our interviews on YouTube. Most of the time, my interviews go on YouTube in video form a couple days later. So if you hear it and you want to see it, sometimes there's extra stuff in the video too. Just saying. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. You won't be sorry that you did. And you can find this all at Down and Nerdy Podcast. Dot com as well, by the way. Most important thing, though, is to remember to never apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.